We're in a series um, on faith. Faith that moves mountains. And our prayer is that as we go through these 10 weeks, God will increase our faith. Today we're talking about faith and healing. Let's pray. Father, how wonderful it is to gather together as your people at Forestbrook and worship you. Thank you for the way that you touch us and meet us in worship. My prayer, Father, is that all of the words that we have sung will now become real in our hearing and in our hearts and in our spirits as you come to us through your word. Just as we have sensed your presence in worship, may we sense your presence now in the hearing of your word. We know you're here. We know you're moving. Lord, we come before you with all of our baggage, with all of our doubts and all of our fears and all of our suspicions and, and everything that we are, Lord, um, you know, you love us so much. You, we have no secrets from you. You know exactly who we are and where we are and, and everything about us. And you love us so much. You're calling us to yourself. Come, you're saying. So, Lord, we come. We come with the best of our ability and we invite and welcome you, Holy Spirit, to, to take us the extra mile. Bring us closer to Jesus. Help us to see Jesus and know Jesus and hear Jesus uh, as we spend this time together in your word today. Lord Jesus, you are our all in all. You are worthy of all of our praise. You're worthy of our adoration. You're worthy of our sacrifice in our lives. So we give it all to you today. And we lay down every burden, every piece of baggage we carry with the help of the Holy Spirit at your feet. And so inspire us today in our hearing and in our speaking and, and um, cause your word to come alive in us today, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. This subject of faith and healing um, has a lot of kind of history with me, or I guess I have a lot of history with it. Most of you know uh, my story. I've been around here long enough and told you my story many, many times over so that you know that I grew up in a, uh, a Bible-believing kind of fundamentalist church. And in that church, we believed in healing by faith alone. And so the church taught that you got healed by faith, and if you had enough faith, you got healed, and if you didn't have enough faith, you didn't get healed. And uh, that was a great doctrine until my mother got cancer. Um, and my mom and dad uh, believed that, and they held out hope for, for healing, and they held out uh, by faith alone, and so my mother did not seek out medical help. At the point that the cancer had advanced so much that the pain became unbearable, she finally went to see a doctor, and at that point she was absolutely riddled through and through with cancer, and they gave her six months to live. My mother died at age 46, when I was 16 years old. And you know, that's kind of stayed with me. I'd have to say that's kind of been a shadow over my life. It's done two things. One is I'm very familiar with death. And I feel like death has kind of been, you know, um, with me my whole life. The other part of it is that it really kind of 
put me into this kind of strange relationship with faith and healing, especially being a pastor for 32 years and, and praying with so many people and, and believing that God heals and knowing that God heals, and yet somehow over the years it always seems to surprise me when he does, which really kind of shows a bit of a, a real unbelief in my heart, to be honest with you. But I've always believed that God could heal. And so I was, you know, anytime I, I could or needed to or was asked to, I would pray with people and ask for God's healing. Never quite sure what would come out of that. A few years ago, as we began this journey of made for more, as God began to kind of drag me deeper into himself, you know, and, and to say, Kevin, there's more, there's more. And I began to search for that and ask for that. One of the greatest revelations that, that I, I came across was the realization that the kingdom of God is a present reality and not just a future one, that it's here now. And that the church's mission, my mission as a follower of Jesus, our mission as the church of Jesus is not just to go out there and proclaim a message of, of you know, saving people from hell so that they can go to heaven. It's actually to proclaim that the kingdom of God is here now. And not only that, but we're empowered by the Holy Spirit to actually manifest its presence talk about a light bulb moment in my head when I read in Matthew 10 and Luke 10 that Jesus sent out his disciples and said go on out proclaim the kingdom and heal the sick raise the dead cleanse the lepers cast out demons and as you do this proclaim the kingdom of heaven is here and people can enter in that was a game changer for me that turned, took my world and turned it upside down and made me realize I'm not waiting for heaven. I got work to do right here, right now. The world is waiting to be told that the kingdom is here. And so as I began to look at that and say, but God, if you've, if you've empowered us by the power of your Holy Spirit to do this, where is it? Where is the evidence of that? And I really began to believe that there was more to this, and I began to pray and search for it and ask, God, give us more, you know, more of your Holy Spirit, give us more wisdom, give us, you know, enable us to do what you say in your word that we're supposed to be able to do. And I really began to have a heart for healing, believing that there should be more healing. We should see more people being healed. Two years ago, I preached two messages on the subject of healing. I don't know if you remember that or not. But I wanted to share with everybody you know, what I was learning. And we looked at scripture and, and, I, and I introduced this subject saying, this is an area that I believe that we can grow in and we need to grow in. And I gave those two messages on the second week when I gave the message on healing. That was the same Sunday morning that Roger Stanger had his diabetic episode at the back after the service. And a few months later he was gone. Later that summer, Gord Patterson died. That winter, Anita Marshall died. A year after that, Janet Reed died. And in this last year, especially this last season, we have seen so many others, including our dear brother Ken. All of these are people I've prayed for. All of these are people we've prayed for. All of these are people that we prayed for healing and, and wanted and hoped that God would heal. It's almost like this new infant faith that, that you know, we're finding is being tested and kind of really shaken. When I gave those messages two years ago, I encouraged the congregation to share messages, testimonies of healing. With, and I have, I, I have a file with, I have nine people from this congregation that have stories of healing. So even though that was happening, there was still, people were being healed. Healing is happening. 
And it's important for us to recognize that. I introduce this because I want to begin by telling you I am well aware that this is a deep mystery. I am well aware that I don't have this all figured out and neither do you. I am well aware that not everyone that we pray for gets healed. I know that. That's why we put together this little booklet two years ago on healing, with, which is mostly on the scriptures that, that talk about healing so that we could meditate on the scriptures. We could read the scriptures. If we're wondering about this and have questions about it, we can read the scriptures and, and look at some of the things that the Bible tells us and teaches us about this subject of healing. There's a lot more than I'm, to this subject than I'm going to say today. I'm going to say one thing today, and I think it's probably the most important thing. But I want you to understand, I know there's a lot more that could be said on this subject that I'm not going to say today. But here's the thing. I have learned that my experience should not dictate my faith. I've learned that if I choose to look at my experience with healing and faith, I'm not likely to have the faith to look at Jesus and take Jesus at his word. So it is not my experience. I choose faith. I choose faith formed in revelation, formed in what Jesus has said about himself, formed in how Jesus has revealed the Father to us. I choose that to be my truth and my reality and the thing that I will depend on. And if my experience doesn't line up with that, it doesn't change what I know to be true about Jesus. What I know to be true about him. So he is our focus. He's the one we want to look at. This whole year we're learning to live lives of love like Jesus. We're looking at Jesus and his example and what Jesus said because the closer we get to Jesus, the more our world changes. Trust me. So what we want to do today is I want, to, I want us to listen to three stories that come from the Gospels about Jesus and healing. All right? So just listen to them. Chelsea's going to read them for us. And, uh, and here we go. Mark 5, 25, verse 34. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus... She came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I can just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped and she felt her, in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered, and yet you can ask who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. Matthew 15, verse 21 to 28. 
Leaving that place, Jesus withdrew from the region of Tyre and Sidon, and a Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to him, crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is demon-possessed and suffering terribly. Jesus did not answer a word. So his disciples came to him and urged him, send her away, for she keeps crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. The woman came and knelt before him. Lord, help me, she said. He replied, it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Yes, it is, Lord, she answered. Even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus said to her, woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted, and her daughter was healed at that moment. Luke 18, 35 to 43. As Jesus approached Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard the crowd going by, he asked what was happening. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. He called out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Those who led the way rebuked him and told him to be quiet. But he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and ordered the man to be brought to him. When he came near, Jesus asked him, what do you want me to do for you? Lord, I want to see, he replied. Jesus said to him, receive your sight. Your faith has healed you. Immediately, he received his sight and followed Jesus, praising God. When all the people saw it, they also praised God. Thanks, Chelsea. So there we have it, three stories a woman with unstoppable bleeding, a Canaanite woman with a tormented daughter, and a man unable to see. What do they have in common? What do these three stories have in common? If you haven't, go ahead, shout it out. If you, if you can, pardon me? Pain? Suffering? Faith? They're dealing with something they can't control themselves, yeah? <clears throat> Hope? Desperation? Humility. They believe that Jesus matters. They're convinced of that. They pursued him. They're marginalized. Okay. Yeah, you're getting it. So, so when we look at these three stories, right, um, it's, it's amazing. Because what we see in these people, right, is that they are drawn to Jesus almost, you know, irresistibly. Like, they, they're drawn to Jesus. They're drawn to him because of their need. They're drawn to him in humility. They're drawn to him in hope. They're drawn to him believing that, that he can do something, that he can help them. And if they can just get to Jesus, they can be healed. And notice that they're willing to risk they, they meet opposition, don't they? 
They're told to go away. They're told to be quiet. They're, they're, they, have to, they have to persist. They have to work their way through the crowd. They have to get past that. They have to risk reputation. They have to risk, um, you know, being rebuked. But their, their heart is that they just need to get to Jesus. Believing that if they can just get to him, they will be healed. I want us to see in them the, the, the hunger, the need, and the persistence that they have. Because when Jesus saw that, he called it faith. When Jesus saw that, he called it faith. Philip Yancey says this, and this is what we're up against. Philip Yancey says, The faith that astonished Jesus had a disturbingly childlike quality. And as I read the Gospels, I am convinced of my own lack of this childlike faith. Too easily I settle for lowered expectations, holding out little hope of change, not believing that God can heal the wounds in me that I have learned to live with. This is what we have to overcome. This is what erodes our faith and robs us of faith and steals our faith. Lord, increase our faith. God is working in our midst. I want to invite Kathy both to come up. Kathy is going to share a bit of her story uh, of healing that happened in her life. You can welcome Kathy. Takes a lot of courage to do this, so that's good for her. Good for her. Um, so, Kathy, I'm just going to ask you a few questions, and hopefully that just opens the door for you to be able to share your story with us, okay? So, after a routine colonoscopy in September 2018, you were told that the doctor had found something suspicious and that you would need further tests to determine if it was cancer. What was your initial reaction to that news? Yeah, um, initial reaction was complete shock. Um, I had gone for a routine procedure. It was something that everybody else I knew had gone through. It was just a sort of check the box exercise. Um, so, I, you know, I had been feeling great, didn't have any sense that anything was wrong. Um, so to hear those words uh, was absolutely shocking. Um, and I couldn't hear anything beyond that. I remember the, the car ride home with my husband Ramsey was a very quiet car ride. Neither of us were talking. I think we were just both mm-hmm. trying to process um, what had happened. And, you know, it's, it's interesting to me when I look back now, um, but reaching out to God was not the first thing I did. In fact, it, it almost didn't enter my mind. Instead... Um, you know, I would definitely say the enemy got a hold of me that day, um, and I went to worst-case scenario. It was, you know, I wasn't going to see my kids graduate. I wasn't going to, you know, be there at their weddings. I wasn't going to, you know, become a grandmother. Um, so it was just a real feeling of, of hopelessness, and I kind of went into almost a, a catatonic state that day. I just kind of cocooned. Um, for the day, um, I have a, a group of Alpha sisters that we reach out to each other for absolutely everything, and I didn't even reach out to them immediately. Um, it wasn't until my sister had called, because she knew I was going for the procedure, and she had called just to, you know, see how it had gone, and, you know, she was obviously shocked to hear 
what I had, but it, it finally brought me out of that state. Um, it was almost like I had been, leave, been believing that if I didn't talk about it, it wouldn't be true. Um, so having to talk it through with her, um, you know, sort of brought me out of that state. And then I finally reached out to my office sisters and, and other sisters in Christ in the congregation and, you know, shared with them what had happened and just really asked for their, asked for their prayers. Um, I was part of a small group at the time, and so as part of that small group, uh, Marie and Sharon were, were the leaders at the time, and, um, you know, sort of the, the first experience that I had of feeling that I could, I could get through this if I just leaned on God was, you know, they laid their hands on me and they, and they prayed over me. And they prayed for healing, and I hadn't really thought about that before. Really, it was just about trying to, you know, kind of get through to the next appointment and get through the next test and, and praying that it just wouldn't be anything that I would mm. have to deal with. So you said that when you told me about your, your journey, you said there were three significant moments in your journey that stand out for you mm -hmm. um, that really were kind of game changers for you. What were they? Can you... Yeah. The first one was, so after sort of having that initial appointment, and then I had to meet with, you know, doctors and get the pathology report, and they still weren't certain, so there was a number of tests that I would have to go through, and that sort of happened over a <laughs> excruciating six-week period of time, which, you know, the waiting game, if anybody's, you know, been through this, you know what the waiting game can be like. Um, and so it was, it was on a Sunday, and I was... I think I cried through the whole service. I was cold. I couldn't get warm. I, you know, was visibly um, shaky. And this is when I say sort of in those early days, the enemy really did have his, his hold on me in terms of the fear that I was feeling. I was very crippled um, by the fear. And so at the end of the service, when, you know, who's ever speaking up at the front invites everybody, you know, to come down who feels that they need prayer at the front of the church, I could not get out of the, I could not get out of the aisle fast enough. Um, I knew that that's what I needed. I knew that I needed Jesus. I knew that I needed that reassurance because I wasn't able to get it from myself. I wasn't even able to get it fully from those who had been praying for me. So I came down to the front and... Um, those of you who were, were praying were already busy praying with other people, so I patiently sat in the front row there, and Kathy Ribble happened to just wander down. She had been chatting with someone, and she wandered over and, you know, asked how I was, and she said, oh, are you waiting for Kevin, because you happen to be standing closest to me, and, and I had said yes, that, you know, explained to her what had happened, and she said, well, do you want Kevin, or can I pray for you? And um, Kathy, when we first joined the church, Kathy was you know, probably one of the first people that I, I made a real connection with. So that was incredibly special that she was the one that was going to pray over me. So she, she prayed over me. Um, and there was a particular point in her prayer that was the game changer for me in that moment. And that was, um, she prayed specifically around fear. And she just talked about how fear was not the love of God, um, but it was really an emotion of the enemy. And, and, and prayed that into me. And I, I honestly, I felt God in that moment. I felt a complete physical change. Um, my heart rate stopped. I stopped my shaking. I felt warm. I just, I truly felt covered and loved mm -hmm. in that moment. So that was the first time, because I, I then truly believed um, God was with me and I was not going through this alone. 
Um, the second time was, um, it was about a week before my treatments were about to start, and um, one of my alpha sisters, Rebecca, you know, we were always praying for each other, and she specifically, you know, knowing that this time was coming, had said, let's get together in person after, after church, let's meet in the prayer chapel, and let's, let's pray over you. So I'm like, I am taking all the prayers I can get, so absolutely. Uh, so we met in the prayer chapel, and unbeknownst to me, Rebecca had reached out to Donna just to invite her as, as one of those uh, people to pray with me, who had in turn reached out to the elders of the church. And so in that room, there was probably at least 15 of us, I'm going to say. Um, Howard was there, you were there, Kathy was there, Donna was there, my Alpha sisters were there, um, other sisters in Christ were there, my small group leaders were there. And, um, you know, there was a, a laying on of, of hands that was about to take place, and I was going to be anointed with oil, and I was not expecting that. And I remember a conversation with you, Kevin, uh, before it started, and you said, you know, what, why do you want to do this? What are you really hoping from this? Um, and, I, and I still didn't say the, the words, you know, I want to be healed. For me, it was, I don't ever want to go back to feeling how I had felt before I had been prayed over by Kathy. I did not want the enemy to enter into my story. Um, I wanted to stay true and faithful to God and just continue to believe that he, he would heal me because I was starting to believe that that was so. Um, and so then we proceeded with everybody, you know, laying, laying hands on me and being anointed with oil, being prayed over. And again, it was just this overwhelming feel uh, feeling that God God was present. I knew God was in the room at that moment. Um, again, I think I cried through the whole thing, um, but very different from the first time where I was crying tears of fear. This was actually tears of joy. Um, it was just this overwhelming feeling um, of love um, and of really knowing that divine intervention was at my feet. Um, and the third time um, that had a lot of meaning was, it was now the night before my treatments were about to start, and um, my friend Nancy and, and sister from the congregation, she put out word um, that we needed to have a prayer party. And so my, my treatments were starting on the Monday, and on the Sunday night, there was again probably about a dozen of us that gathered at Nancy's house, and it was sort of a potluck and, and prayer night. And again, it was, you know, everybody just laying hands on me and knowing that everybody was there to pray to God for one thing, and that was just for, you know, my strength. My strength through uh, my treatments, there was, you know, words of encouragement that were shared, there was scripture that was shared, um, and just, again, the love that was, was pouring out, um, I, I knew was God's doing. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> so. What was the outcome then of your treatment, and how has this experience impacted your relationship mm -hmm. with God? So the outcome, thankfully, um, is, a, is a good story. Um, I had to go through two weeks of chemotherapy and, and seven weeks of daily radiation, um, and then again, the waiting game. Um, and then, you know, I did, I did get word when I went back for a preliminary um, appointment, but then when I also had a follow-up MRI, there was no sign of the tumor whatsoever. In fact, they said there was actually a cavity where the tumor used to be, so it wasn't just kind of gone, it was like really gone. <laughs> so, um, you know, my, my relationship with God, to go through something so personal 
and to know that, you know, so many of the songs that we sang this morning, you know, God was standing in the fire beside me, you know, he, I was healing in his hand, through his hands. Mm -hmm. I believe that without a shadow of a doubt. Mm -hmm. um, so from a faith perspective, um, it, you know, my faith is definitely stronger because I've seen it firsthand. It's not just hearing about it. It's not, you know, seeing it in, in, in others. It's actually having that personal experience. And um, it, it just, you know, when I, when I pray now, I, the one thing that I pray for now that I didn't really pray for before um, was the removal of the enemy and the removal of him from any doubt that I might have, any fears mm -hmm. that I might have, because I have seen firsthand that that works. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Thanks, Kathy. Praise God. <clears throat> Thank you. That was great, Kathy. She's sitting there with her tribe, her family, and her alpha ladies. So uh, her community within community, so that's great. <clears throat> so here's the theology behind our understanding of healing. We find it in Acts chapter 3 and verse 16. The context of this passage is where Peter and John coming into the temple see a man who cannot walk. And he is there, and this is the whole, you know, where he's begging, and, and Peter says, look, I don't have any silver or gold, but what I have I give you in the name of the Lord Jesus, rise up and walk. And this man is immediately healed, and it creates such a stir, and then he's called out, you know, in front of the, the, uh, the Jewish uh, leadership, and, and they, they want to know, how did you do this? How, how did you heal this man? And here was, here was his answer. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has given this complete healing to him, as you can all see. That is such a verse. <laughs> all, of, all of our theology of healing is right there. It's packed in right there, right? It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that brings healing. Remember we talked last week about how Jesus is Lord of Lords and King of Kings and all things have been put under his feet. Jesus has authority over everything. He is Lord of all, even now. And so all things come under his name. And the faith that comes through him, remember that faith is that trust and then that acting upon that trust. So when we as his people are sent out in his name, in his authority, to act on his behalf in the way that he's told us to act, to announce and bring the fullness of the kingdom to those around us, this is what we're doing. We're acting in his name, by his authority, in the faith that comes from him. And this, Peter says, is what results in healing. The church has been left this practice. This is our practice today. It comes to us from, from James in his letter, where he says in James 5, verse 13 to 15, if any one of you, if anyone among you is afflicted or enduring hardship, let him pray. If anyone is joyful or in good spirits, let him make music and sing God's praise. If anyone among you is sick, let him call the elders of the church. Let them pray over him, having anointed him with oil in the name of the Lord. And faith's prayer will deliver the sick one, and the Lord will raise him up. That's always been the practice of the church. 
But as we look at that in the context of the stories that we've heard, both Kathy's stories and these three stories from Jesus' day, do we see that, that in this direction that is given to the church, to all of us as the church, that this same vulnerability is there, this same need to risk is there, this same willingness to, to kind of step out is there. This same, this same humility and need for God and this, this desire to come to God and say, God, I need your help. The next verse goes on to say that we should confess our, our, our sins and our faults to one another so that we can be forgiven because you know, the prayer of an effective person or of a righteous person is, is very effective. So this context of community, this context of sharing, this context of opening up and coming, becoming vulnerable and becoming, becoming um, willing to sit at Jesus' feet and say, Lord, I need your help. I need you. I need you to do this. This is still the practice of the church. There is something different, though. Many of us are learning what it is to pray faith's prayer. I am learning that. My heart is to learn that. My heart is so that when people either come to the front or come to my office or call and want to be prayed for, or we as a leadership go and meet with people and we pray with people, I pray very differently now than I did a few years ago. I am learning to pray faith's prayer. Because I believe that that is what you deserve. That is what God's people need. That is what I'm called to do. Now, faith's prayer is not an incantation. This is not a magical spell. This is not having the right words in the right order. Faith's prayer is a state of mind, a state of heart, and a state of spirit. Faith's prayer is being so focused on Jesus and his name and his authority, what he wants to do, that I pray out of that place. And that prayer opens heaven's doors. When we come together now and we pray for people, we listen to God. We, we try to discern what God is doing, what God is saying. How is God working in this situation? How should we pray for this person? How are we meant to pray for this person? Somebody came to the front for prayer a little while ago, a number of weeks ago, uh, about pain they were having. And just as we were praying for the person, I just, I just sensed that this person was holding on to a lot of unforgiveness. And I said to them, you know, I think God is saying that you need to forgive in order to be healed. That word resonated with that person. We're learning to pray faith's prayer. Where does that come from? It comes from knowing who Jesus is and walking with Jesus and having an understanding of what Jesus wants to do. You know, Philip Yancey in his book on faith, which is called uh, Reaching for the Unreachable God, says this. He says, nowhere in the, in the Gospels will you ever find a place where Jesus says to people that suffering is God's will for them. Everywhere you find Jesus, he's bringing healing, freedom, and deliverance. Now we immediately go to Paul. And Paul, where Paul says, I sought God three times to remove this thorn in my flesh and he didn't remove it, and so therefore, it's God's will. He said, you know, my grace be sufficient for you. And we go, we go right there, and we say, there you go. See, it's God's will that, that people, people suffer. 
And when people say that to me, I say back to them, I say, has God specifically told you that? Because he did, Paul. Right? The Lord, the Holy Spirit, did specifically say that to Paul. Has he specifically said that to you? Because if he has, then good, I'm good to go. I'll pray for your peace, your endurance, and all those other kinds of things. But if he hasn't specifically said that to you, I'm going with Jesus. I'm going with the Jesus who wants to heal and deliver and free us from our bondages, including our sicknesses. And I'll pray from that place. God willing, as we change our focus from our experiences to the revelation of Jesus, our experiences will change. Wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't that be awesome? I believe that's going to happen. I believe that's coming. I believe we're seeing it, and I believe we're going to see it in greater measure as we ask God to increase our faith. I'm going to invite the worship team back up. We're going to go to communion. We're going to take a few minutes to set this up, though, because this is important. Look at what it says in Matthew chapter 8, verses 16 to 17. Matthew chapter 8, verses 16 to 17. Please don't miss this. This is so important. When evening came, many who were demon-possessed were brought to him, and he drove out the spirits with a word and healed all the sick. This was done to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. He took to himself our sicknesses and our diseases. He carried away. He healed all the sick. Jesus took to himself our sicknesses and our diseases he carried away. He bears them. They're on him. And if we'll let him, he'll carry them away. It's what it says. It's what it says. Lord, increase our faith. May we not walk by sight. We can think of a hundred cases where we would say this isn't true. But we're wrong every time. This is truth. Our experiences are not. Lord, increase our faith. Increase our faith. Now I know on Thursday, whatever happens, happens, but on Thursday, as I was working on the message, and thinking about how to end it, knowing that this is where I wanted to end by having us look at Jesus as we did communion and realize that this Jesus who we are remembering and celebrating has already taken away all of our diseases and all of our sicknesses. And what is it that we want him, how do we want that to be made true in our lives? How do we want to to wear that in our lives? How do we need that to manifest itself in our lives and in the lives of our loved ones? I knew that's where we wanted to end with, with thinking and pondering about that. But I had all of this tension in my back. 
I was so stressed because I just knew that there are so many of us here today who I'm sure are hearing a message like this today and are either confused or angry or just saying, but that wasn't my experience. It's too late. My mom, my dad has died. My my husband, my wife is gone. I'm still waiting for healing. I'm I'm still dealing with a situation which is almost unbearable in terms of, of how difficult it is. How is this good news for me? And all that just all of that was just kind of balling up in my back. And I was feeling it so. I went home and I just relaxed and I sat by the fire and I read and I went over the sermon and I prayed and I just asked God, I said, God, what about all of these people? And the Holy Spirit reminded me of John chapter 11 and the story of Jesus and Lazarus. And I want to let you know that I believe that that is God's word for any of you in that circumstance. Any of, any of you today who are hearing this message and can identify with Martha and Mary. This story is for you. This passage is for you, and I encourage you today, go home, read it, sit with it, pray about it, meditate about it, just listen to God in this passage. You know the story. In John chapter 11, a man named Lazarus was sick. He was the brother of Mary and Martha. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When Jesus heard this, he stayed put. He stayed put. He stayed put for another two days. Think about that for a second. Lord, the one you love is sick. Come now, we need you, we need your help. And Jesus didn't move. When he finally did make the decision to go and and be there, you know what happened when he showed up? Martha came out to him and said, Oh, Lord, if you've only been here, Lazarus would still be alive. Mary wouldn't even come out to see him. Mary couldn't face him. Mary didn't want to face him. She was too hurt. She was too broken. She was too angry. She was too disappointed. She was let down by Jesus. And she couldn't even come out to see him. But then Jesus called her. And he sent people back into the house to say, Tell her to come. Tell her to come. So she came, she knelt at his feet, said the same thing, oh Jesus, if you'd only been here, things would have turned out so much differently. So they went to the, to the tomb where Lazarus was, and she wept, and he wept. And then he worked a miracle. And then he worked a miracle. And what I want you to hear in this story is that if you're in that place, that same place as Mary or Martha, and you you just can't bring yourself right now to come and see Jesus, I want you to know that he stands at the edge of your pain. He stands at the very edge of your suffering. 
and he calls your name. Come, he says. Come. I am still your comforter. I am still your healer. And there will still be miracles. I don't know what they'll be. I don't know what they'll look like. I don't know that. I don't know I don't know a lot about this in terms of how this is all meant to play out, but I do know this. I know that Jesus loves you and he stands on the edge and if for whatever reason he hasn't healed your loved one or he hasn't healed you yet, he still bids you come. Because with him is peace. With him is comfort. With him is complete healing. Whether we live or whether we die. Lord, increase our faith. Increase our faith. So as you come to the table today, as I said, we're doing this in stations, I invite you to come. And as you come, what do you need Jesus to show you that he's taken away from your life? What burden, what disease, what illness, what sickness? Is it mental illness? Is it physical illness? Is it pain? Is it grief? Is it anxiety? Is it worry? Jesus has already taken it all away. He's borne it on himself to the cross. That's what the word of God says. So if you're still carrying it, you don't need to. So what today do you need to surrender to him? And say, Lord, I, I just we both don't need to carry this. You took it. Let me just give it back to you. And as you take of the bread and you take of the cup and you remember that Jesus died not just for your sins, not just for your salvation, but for you all of you because God loves you you're his child and he wants nothing but the best for you and Jesus died so you could have it oh Lord increase our faith let's pray Father I ask that you Holy Spirit would would sift the words that I have said that anything that is not of you would already be falling to the wayside so that all that we've heard, Lord, is just you. Lord Jesus, you have already carried away our illnesses, our diseases, our sicknesses. Thank you for that. Help us, Holy Spirit, to celebrate this communion with renewed faith. Lord, if we had just a little bit of this faith, think of the incredible changes we would see in our lives and the lives of our brothers and sisters in our community. Lord, increase our faith. Let every person be made a liar, but you, Lord, are truth, and we believe that. Thank you for the bread. Thank you for the cup. Thank you for this celebration of your great love for us. We ask for your healing to be made real in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.